We are, um, wow, we are nearing the end of Revelation. Three chapters to go, counting today. And I've just been, I hate to say this, but I've just really been looking forward to these last three chapters. In particular, I've been looking forward to the last two, but the last three. um, But this morning, I want to... I want to divide this morning kind of in half. I want to spend the first half of the morning kind of doing a a bit of a recap, but not really kind of a recap, but really reintroducing some big themes, doctrinal theological themes, if you will, and then kind of letting that take us into chapter 20, because chapter 20 is where a lot of your theological questions and controversies and confusions all kind of come to a head. So I've saved them. I saved them all up for today. Um, It's not that I've been avoiding them. I just figure it's good to just kind of keep putting them aside and dump them all on you at once. Um, Am I working? Boink. Ah, I am. I thought I would start with a quote that just kind of shows some of the difficulty of Revelation. This is from G.K. Chesterton. And though St. John saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. I'll let that sink in for just a moment. Um, If you've ever just kind of examined the landscape of people who talk about the book of Revelation, it's crazy out there, y'all. It is crazy. I'm not just talking about, I don't mean just like within our own little world. I mean, just, you just go out and out and out, and people use the book of Revelation to just say all sorts of stuff. So there are some very wild creatures in the world um, commenting on the book of Revelation. And... One of the reasons I believe that happens is the same reason people say things about, crazy things about the Bible in general. Um, The Bible is an old book, and the Bible is from a different culture, originally written in a different language, and frankly, it can be very difficult to understand at times. Um, Revelation is what we call apocalyptic. We said this back in the beginning of literature. It's full of symbols and visions and strange beasts. Um, So I find it very difficult to understand. And if you find it difficult to understand, um, it's not just you. It's a difficult to understand book. And I've talked to a couple of people about this this week, and it's just addition to my own reading. And two different people have said to me... um, that we should always be careful when we're interpreting um, events that happened so many years ago. In other words, when you're reading Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, um, it just might be that that was a really, really long time ago, and people just kind of read things differently back then. But do you realize what happens when we get to Revelation? Not only was Revelation written to people who lived 2,000 years ago, 
So we go back in time 2,000 years to when it was written, and then they wrote 2,000 years ago about things that are happening in our future. Well, that's just crazy, right? So how does this even work? And I just want to point out a, a couple of, of ideas about this. Um, the first is um, that there's simply a difference in the way cultures tell stories and relate information to each other. Um, we Americans, we love to just kind of lay things out one after the other. But a lot of cultures, maybe even most cultures, don't do that way. Um, and Bible cultures were not very linear. Like, you open up your Bible and you read Genesis 1, and then you get to Genesis 2, and you think, wait a minute, did I just read some of this? Right, because that's just how it works. And then you're reading through, and you read a story, and then later on you come to another book, and it tells the same story but with some different details. Right, so instead of just going like this, it goes like this, and it goes, wait, okay, here's some details on what I just told you. Okay, let's go to another story. Here's a story, here's a story. Yep, let's go back and pick up some details on that story that I told you. And you go through the Bible, and it's just like that over and over. And it's exactly like that over and over again in Revelation, right? In chapter 14, this angel flies over and says, Babylon has fallen. And guess what? Three chapters later, we spend two chapters talking about how Babylon fell. And you go, wait a minute. She said he fell back, Babylon fell back there. Yeah, but we just said it back there. We didn't tell you all the gory details of how it happened. So let's go back and pick up on that. Right? We love having everything in nice, neat, orderly fashion. And the Bible doesn't always cooperate with that. I remember when I was a fairly new believer, but I'd already started reading my Bible most of the way through, and this was really troubling me. I couldn't figure out why I would read. I'd, I'd read First and Second Samuel, right? And then I'm getting into these kings and these chronicles, and I'm like, this sounds really familiar. So this college and career kind of Island of Misfit Toys class had gone off on this retreat, and we brought in this really smart guy who was teaching, and I, I was catching some of what he said. And at the end of this teaching time, he said, does anybody have any questions? And I shot my hand up because I had a question that had nothing to do with what he had been talking about that weekend. And I said, yes, I want to know why God did not give us the Bible in chronological order <laughs> because this doesn't make sense to me. And this is what he said, and I did not understand him, and I, it took me a few years to get it. And he said, well... Because it would be very hard to put Isaiah in a footnote. Thank you. <laughs> and now I get it. You read Isaiah, wait a minute, I read this story back there. Well, you can't cram Isaiah into the bottom, you know. And there's Isaiah down there, right? It's just the way they tell stories. Um, so that makes it different if hard if you want to read Revelation and go, okay, here's the timeline, because the timeline goes like this. It's got loops like a roller coaster in it. But it's not just that. It's the way different cultures relate to time. Ever been to a culture that did time differently? Did they do time differently in Albania? Did they show up on time? Never. Never. Right. Not even for school, coming from a school teacher. Right, school starts at eight, nah, nah. School starts when we get there, majority, right? 
Yeah, so I remember being Dominican Republic. We were opening an orphanage, and it was a big, big deal. And we were supposed to meet at the front of this resort hotel we were staying in. And the Minister of Tourism, the Minister of Tourism for the Dominican Republic was going to escort us to the orphanage with a police escort. If you've ever been to Dominican Republic, you know it's the most frightening place you could ever drive. Those red things, they're suggestions. No, no, they're not. You just ignore those. When we flew into Dominican Republic, our, our, the guy who had been there several times said, hey, guys, we're going to have a contest. As we're leaving the airport, see who can count the most traffic violations before we get off airport property. And it was like, I counted seven. Really, I counted eight, right? We hadn't even left the airport yet. But they're late everywhere, which makes no sense at all. You just did 900 miles an hour and ran all the stop signs, and we're 30 minutes late. How did that happen, right? But I'm down there, and here's the minister of tourism, this man in his really nice suit, and I'm standing there, and it's time. And nobody's there. And I'm like sweating, and I'm nervous, and it's late, and I'm like, come on, people, show him what we good American on-time people are like. And everybody's just dawdling around, and 45 minutes later, we leave. And I'm just, finally, somebody walks up to me, and he's like, man, you got to lighten up. you got to lighten up. You're on DR time. And eventually all the cops showed up and we got this police escort. And we were there an hour after it was supposed to begin. And then 30 minutes later, we started. <sighs> Soon meant something different in Dominican Republic. Right? School starts at means something different in Albania. You guys know this if you've been anywhere else. So like, you're not going to be able to read this but I'm going to put it up here anyway, and I'm going to read you some of it. This is, just, this is just copied out of a book, and I'm not putting it up on the screen. It's ugly. It's just scanned. It's awful. I shouldn't be putting it up here. I'm only putting it up here just so you can see how large it is. But this is a chart, and I said I was never going to do a chart, but it's not that kind of chart. It's not that kind of chart. Um, but this is a chart. Sorry. Oh, you got it? Is that the first one? Nope. Is that it? Yes, okay. Um, this is three pages of all of the different ways Revelation talks about time. Now, you can't really read that, but I'm just letting you know, it uses all these different terms for time, like unspecified time. I gave her time to repent, the time for the dead to be judged. A time times and half a time. A time times and half a time. Well, of course. And then there's relative time, soon, near, to take place after this, until I come, until the end, never. How long? Rest a little longer, until we have sealed the servants, no more delay. During the days of their prophesying, when they have finished their testimony, after the three and a half days, his time is short. Can you go to the next one, Karen? Oh, here's more. He must remain only a little while. Remember how frustrating that was when you were a kid? And your parents, oh, it'll be a little while. Yeah, right. When you were in the back of a van, that, was like, that meant six more hours. Yeah. Until the words of God are fulfilled, Babylon will be found no more. Uh, not to see the nations any longer until the thousand years will end. We'll see that today. He'll be released for a little while until a thousand years are ended. And then there's actual units of time in Revelation. So those are all the kind of unspecified ones. Now we have actual units of time. The hour of trial sounds for half an hour. At that hour, there was a great earthquake. The hour to reap has come. Ten kings receive authority for one hour. 
in a single hour your judgment has come. Really? So 60 minutes of judgment. Do you think they meant that like that, right? How about day and night? For 10 days you will have tribulation. Day and night. All those times it says day and night. There will be no night. A great day of wrath and the great day of God. So 24 hours of wrath and 24 hours of God, right? Three and a half days. Okay, that sounds a little more specific. 1,260 days. That's very specific. Her plagues will come in a single day. One more. Oops. Is there one more? Yes, there's one more. You got months, five months, 42 months. You got years, a thousand years. And then you got combinations, the hour, the day, the month, and the year. And then you've got before and after, always, never ending. Alpha and omega, first and last, beginning and end. Is, was, is to come, and is, and was. Lives forever and ever. Reigns forever and ever. Will be punished forever and ever. And then second death, which means you have to know when the first one happened before you can know when the second one happens. So, time is all over Revelation. And most of the time, something has to happen before the other thing happened, and then something has to happen those two times before the other thing happens, but the other two things aren't very specific. And here we are putting together timelines for Revelation. What are, wow. But we try, we try. Okay, so if you go to our church doctrine statement, if you want to go ahead and flip that, Karen. Um, Thank you for doing that for me. Um, The Beemans have a long history of taking care of me when I can't get the thing to flip. (laughs) If you go to our church doctrine statement, there's, I've said this before and I've shown you this before. There's like the the quick version, hey, this is kind of who we are, and then there's the great big long version. This is all of our eschatology, if you will, our, our doctrine of the last things summed up in a nice little neat sentence. History is controlled by God and will culminate in the return of Christ and the establishment of his kingdom on earth accompanied by those who have placed their faith in him. Right, like, <laughs> that should be something that a lot of people who disagree about the end times, that should be something we, we can get behind because it's, it's certain enough, but not specific enough. It's like God's in control, the kingdom's coming, trust him, be with him. I'm sure somebody could start a fight over this, but we wrote it in such a way that let's not fight over this. You see what we're saying, right? There's a longer version, and this is going to take us into chapter 20. Karen, will you give us the first one? Okay, so this is the longer version. You go to our website, it's all there. This is in three parts. Events of the end times. Now, this is where we're going to put it in order. Now, this is one of those things where if you become a member here and you're like, you know what, there's a couple of verses in section two on your events of the end times that I'm just not sure those are in the right order. We're just going to pat you on the back and say, welcome in, brother and sister. Um, Just don't like start a small group and like start a cult around this or anything. You know what I mean? Like, We understand it's important because it's in the Bible. We're not making light of this. But at the same time, we understand people have differences of opinion and they're they're good godly people who love Scripture. But this just starts over here. We believe in the personal and physical coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the air to receive himself, all those dead or alive who receive salvation. This event, the rapture. Ah, the rapture. There's a familiar word. The rapture of the church. It's the blessed hope we're looking for. So the rapture. We're off. 
We're going to meet Jesus in the air. We're taking off the rapture. So that's the first thing. That's kind of the first. There's a lot of stuff around that, but that's kind of the first little anchor. Then you go to the next one. There's this tribulation that comes after that. Seven years. We don't get into that in our thing, but after the seven years, we have a personal bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth to establish the millennial age. That's going to be today. During which he will reign, Satan will be bound, Israel will be restored, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Scripture references. That's today. Revelation 20. And then we believe every person will be raised from the dead. Believers will be raised to stand for evaluation at the judgment seat of Christ to determine rewards based on their faithfulness and obedience to God. Believers will then live with him in everlasting blessedness and joy and glory. This sounds great. We believe that every unbeliever will be punished with everlasting conscious torment away from the presence of the Lord. Okay. And some of you are thinking at this point, can we go back to that first one that was like one sentence? Of course you can. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, of course you can. Is it good to study the other stuff? Of course it is. Of course it is. And some people have spent years studying it um, to, to their own profit and good. Um, but you, you see the order that's in ours, right? There's a rapture. People go up. And then there's seven years of tribulation. Jesus comes back, defeats his enemies. He starts this thousand-year thing called the millennium. At the end of the millennium, Satan's let out. A big fight happens. And then new heaven, new earth happens. Judgment happens. Eternal separation, eternal with him. That's it. But then what about those people who move the rapture here at the end of tribulation? And then what about those people who say there's not actually a thousand years? That's just kind of figurative. And then, right, then it gets messy. All of that to say, Revelation 20 is where we are today. And it's full of time references. Now, we need to think about what happened the last time we were together. The last time we were together, do you remember what happened? Maybe not, but there were two suppers. There was the marriage supper, because Babylon had been defeated, and there was this worship service where people were just shouting and crying out. This marriage supper of the Lamb had come, but the second supper was when all these people had gathered to wage war against the Lamb, and Jesus comes on this horse, and he's followed by all these other people on horses, and they're wearing these white robes, and he's got this fire in his eyes and this sword coming out of his mouth, and he defeats his enemies, and all the birds come and eat the flesh of his enemies. So Jesus has returned. That was up there in the doctrine statement. So you come to chapter 20. And here's the third, then I saw. Back in chapter 19, verse 11, we saw the words, then I saw, in, chapter, in verse 11. And then in verse 17, we saw, then I saw. Now we have another, then I saw, chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel come down from heaven. So Jesus has come down, all these people with him. He's here now. Another angel comes down from heaven holding a key in his hand, and he's holding a key to the bottomless pit, and he has a great chain. And he seizes the dragon. Now look at how many names the devil gets here. It's like, you know what? We're getting to the end. Let's just call him everything that he is. 
He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan. Are we clear on who this is? Right? He's the deceiver. He's the evil one. He's the dragon who all those chapters ago started this giant war to begin with. Right? We know who we're talking about. And this is an interesting thing because there's a chain. Like, is this a real chain and a real dragon? And there's an abyss. We know that. How does this all work? Whatever the case may be, he bound him for a thousand years. He threw him back into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years, that's twice, were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while, which was kind of a bit of a spoiler because we're not even into the thousand years and he's already telling us, oh, by the way, he's going to get let loose. But we've got two time references already to a thousand years. Now, if you're looking at U version, I don't know if you are looking at U version. I always put a little piece of artwork there and sometimes it's just the verse and sometimes it's something without words at all. And sometimes it's something ridiculous, like, like some old piece of art that I think just, it's like, 400 years old, and I thought it looked funny, so I put it there. And this one is actually like a really old, I think it's a woodcut, and it's of the dragon, and he's in the abyss. And I could not tell from that picture if he looked like he was like really strategizing over something, or if he just looked bored, because a thousand years is a really, really long time. What do you think? Is anybody looking? Are you, do you strategy or bored, or bored strategy? Bored, you picked boredom. Yeah, boredom. It's like, what does Satan do for a thousand years when he can't get out? He's, he's bored. And he's bored of plotting and scheming. I don't know. But there he is. Then I saw, verse 4, the, the, the scene shifts, thrones. This is here. And seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. So these are people, and they've been given thrones, and they've been given authority to judge and rule. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they came to life, and they reigned, they ruled with Christ, here it is again, for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead, it seems to me he's saying the rest of the wicked who will be judged here at the end of the chapter, did not come to life until a thousand years we're ended, and this is the first resurrection, which is, there's a great place for controversy here that I won't get in here, but we could. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So one, two, three, four, five times he said a thousand years, which is interesting because people argue whether this is really like one comma zero 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 years, like actually is thousand years, or if it stands for something. Um, it seems to me that if you're going to go to such great lengths to keep saying the word a thousand, you must mean something close to a thousand, which is where we get the word millennium. It's the word there for a thousand. Um, but then you get to verse seven. It says, and when the thousand years are ended... And I'll be honest, I really expected more from Revelation 20. Like, I want to know what's going on during that thousand years. Like, I bet there's some cool stuff going on on earth. Like, a bunch of beheaded people came back to life. That'll raise a few questions, won't it? 
I'm guessing they came back with heads, right? You know, you were, th you were thinking it. No, tell me you weren't, right? <laughs> right? And they have jobs. They're like rulers, which must mean there's a whole bunch of other people there. Surely they're not just sitting on thrones with nobody to rule. So there's all these other resurrected people there and all of these saints that came down with Jesus who had been waiting up there. So there's all of these people and there's people to rule them. So it seems that they're not just hanging out on earth. Just what happened during these thousand years? And so in our doctor's statement, we're... What our doctor statement says, and what many people who believe like us say, is that this is kind of the bucket, the thousand years, where all of those incredible prophecies are fulfilled. This is, this is where we would put them. Now, some people would say, you don't put these till chapter 21. Some people would say, these are figurative and they're happening now. I'm just going to say, I think they happen here, and I know wonderful people who disagree, but... Can we flip through some of these, please? Let's go to the first one. Boy, that's a lot. But this is beautiful because this doesn't sound like something that's happened yet, and it sounds like something that's going to happen here on the soil. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. In other words, this hill of the Lord, this Zion, Mount Zion, will be the preeminent place in all the earth. Not that it will be higher than Everest, but that it will be preeminent. And many people will come and say, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and we walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and nations shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore that's a famous verse when's that going to happen we're saying probably right here we don't need that sword you don't need that spear let's make tools out of it let's plow with it You've got these people who are judging between all the nations because all these people are coming. And these people, kind of like in the days of Moses, Moses' father-in-law said, man, you need to get some people with you to help you decide. There's all these people there. And they've been given the right to, to reign and judge. Let's go to the next one, Karen, please. Another one from Isaiah. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. Now, there is no mom in her right mind that would let their kid go out and play with a cobra, right? There's no farmer, dairy farmer in their right mind who would say, just let the cows go out where the lions and the bears are, right? It just doesn't work. So apparently there's going to be on this earth a situation where all of this can happen together, Nursing child, cobra, no big deal. They get along. 
Cow, bear, just out there eating together. Can't tell the difference, I guess. I don't know. That's a cow. That's a bear. Lion, ox, wolf, lamb, goat. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. There's that again. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples. And of him the nation shall inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Let's do a couple more. Please, Karen. This is from Amos. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. In other words, the <laughs> it's like the harvest is going to be so plentiful. It's like always going to be planting harvesting season. Like, hey, guys, you've got to hurry up and pick this. We're planting again. The mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills shall flow with it and I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they will rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them in their land and they shall never again be uprooted from the land I will give them, says the Lord your God. So what's happening here? It seems as if all of these people are coming back to this land and all these ruined cities that have been flattened in war and through all this time of tribulation People are going to have jobs to do. Carpenters are going to get to carpenter. Plumbers are going to get to plumber. Electricians are going to get to electrician. I don't know how that's going to work. But people are going to have stuff to do. Gardeners are going to get to do gardens in ideal conditions. Can I get an amen from anyone trying to keep their garden going in Houston, Texas? Ugh! Right? Man, oh man. Right? One more, I think. Nope, that's it. So there's all these verses, and we're just saying there's a thousand years for that to happen. Now, I don't understand all of this, but it says here when thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number will be like the sand of the sea. So apparently for a thousand years, people will be having babies, and some of these babies will be deceivable when they grow up, like in the Garden of Eden. Satan will come along and start whispering in their ears about like, wow, it seems as if nobody gets to rule here, but that guy and his minions. Nobody ever gets to vote on term limits in this kingdom, do they? Right, and he's going to just kind of come and he's going to whisper around and he's going to gather up these people and they're going to march over this plain and come to this beloved city and there's going to be a big fight. Fire's going to come from heaven and wipe them out. And there's an interesting verse, verse 10, which kind of helps you put a little bit of a timeline together. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beasts and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So when the devil finally gets thrown into the lake of fire, the beast and the false prophet have already been there for a thousand years. Do you remember them from way back, chapter 19? And then I saw a great white throne, him who was seated on it. This is the third, third then I saw. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. Like this is the man, this is the one give him space, and from his presence, earth and sky split away, no place was found for them, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. So this, this judgment of the devil ushers in this judgment. So this is kind of the next chapter. Books are opened, and then another book was opened, so there's books. 
there's the book of life, and the dead are judged by what's written in the books, plural, according to what they've done, and the sea gives up her dead who are in there, and the sea, and death and Hades give up the dead who are in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they'd done, and apparently we won't need death and Hades anymore because they are going to get thrown into the lake of fire too. We're done with you, death and Hades. And this is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Would be a good place to end Revelation, wouldn't it? It'd be a good place to just put, and they lived happily ever after except for the people in the lake of fire. Right? But it doesn't. In chapter 21 and 22, it is so beautiful. And, and there's just like disagreement. All those verses we read, some people would say, no, those can go. In chapter 21, it doesn't. You know what? Listen. If I'm a chapter off in my interpretation, we'll just laugh about it when we're in heaven. <laughs> chapter 20. What a goof. <laughs> It was chapter 21, right? Lord, if I'm wrong, forgive me, right? I was a chapter off. Um, I tried. Um, but let me just, just finish with a few, a few items here because um, we know a few things from this, and I don't want to belabor this, but we talk about what's politically correct and what's politically incorrect. Um, let me talk about three things that are very real. Um, the enemy, Satan, the devil, the serpent, the dragon, is real. And I believe it's more politically incorrect to believe in Satan than it is to believe in God. Like, really, you believe in some guy with a pitchfork and a pointy tail? What kind of rube are you? Where are you from? Right? Um... And yet, Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And, and what we see in Revelation is he's got a team, right? And I don't, that must mean that, like, if he's there, his team's somewhere else. I don't know how that works. But he's real. The enemy's real. And he will be dealt with once and for all. So he knows his time is short. I don't know what he knows about the future, but your enemy's real. And so we are to be watchful. So we don't make light of this. Even if we don't understand it, we know the basics. We have an enemy, and he's real. Um, we know that judgment is real. Um, you have not known, nor will you ever known, someone who will not face judgment. That's sobering. It's very sobering. You have not known, you will not ever know anyone who will escape judgment. Everyone will be judged. That's what it says. All the dead, great and small, before the throne. I don't know how that works. I don't know if it's like um, Alan's out in the foyer. He literally got out a calculator this week and multiplied the population of the earth by how much time it takes to judge someone and like how many seconds that'll take. And I don't know how that works. I don't know if that's some spiritual thing where like everybody can happen at once or I don't know how that works, but it sounds like it would take a long, long time. But everybody's there and that's all that matters, 
right? We don't just get to skip that and we all just kind of bebop into some vague happiness realm. And, and this is going to sound real. The enemy is real, judgment is real. The future is real. And what I mean by that is the future's not happened yet. But when I say the future is real, the future is not some like disembodied, vague, ghostly thing where we're just all kind of like these little clouds that are colored maybe with some eyeballs or something, I don't know. Just we like float around. Like this, this comes down to earth. Like this is like this. Like this is people doing stuff here. This is real. This is time and place stuff. So those three things are real. Last, I just want to say this. The short version is fine. Listen, if this, if all of this just confuses you, um, I hope you believe this. That God is in control. Jesus is coming. His kingdom is coming to earth. And you trust him, you get to reign with him and be with him in his kingdom, right? And as our brother also says, his kingdom is not in trouble. It's not. Psalm 145, 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You understand that's written way back here, like in the middle. It's written back in David days. It's a long time before Revelation. And he says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. They had no idea all this stuff that was going to have to take place. They didn't know there was going to be a Texas. Right? They didn't, they didn't know what the world was going to be like. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your, di- your dominion endures through every generation. How many generations since this was written? And then it follows with this. The Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises, faithful in all he does. So however this works out, whoever has the correct theology on this, we all agree on this. The Lord is trustworthy in his promises. And tomorrow morning when you wake up, he will be faithful. That's the truth. Just finish with this. Um, there's this blogger who's fairly famous in Christian circles, and he he published this week for the second time 40 things that weren't big enough for a blog, but just little things. And one of the things was um, know some hymns because they come in handy. <laughs> um, I didn't grow up in church, but somewhere along the way I picked up some hymns. Like the time I was in hymny church in college, we sang hymns. Um, I learned Jesus shall reign. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. So Jesus is going to reign. Wherever the sun's going, he's going to reign there. And then I learned this is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, he is the ruler yet. Yes. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied. And this is the line that kept coming back to me this week. And earth and heaven be one. 
It's our father's world, y'all, our dad's world. Let's not forget. Let's pray. Lord, um, when all is said and done, Jesus, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. When all is said and done, you've never broken a promise. And when all is said and done, we're going to leave this building and you're still going to be a good father. You're still going to love us. You're still going to be faithful in the morning. You're still going to be in control of history. Nothing is going to be spinning willy-nilly that you're trying to figure out what in the world you're going to do with it. Um, You reign, Jesus. You rule. Kingdoms come and go. Generations come and go. And your kingdom is still your kingdom. An everlasting kingdom. Lord, I pray that when books of the Bible are difficult, we would just remember that there are simple truths that we know and we can build a life on those simple truths. And here they are, right here. And we can go a long ways, a long ways on these simple truths. There's power in these. Lord, we know our enemy's real. We know judgment is real. I pray that there will be an urgency in our witness of the gospel. We know that the earth and earth and heaven will be one. And Jesus is going to reign on this planet. We thank you for that. And I pray that we would live our lives accordingly. By the grace and the power of Jesus Christ, your spirit in us, the air we breathe. Pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a great week. See you next week in Revelation 21, God willing.